Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone, across all of our campus. We are completely online on this Thanksgiving weekend, and I'm so happy that you joined us, and I really hope that you had a refreshing and enjoyable uh, time at Thanksgiving around the table with family and friends, and you know, or, or in some way, you know, we're able to connect, uh, to give appreciation both to the Lord and for the Lord and, and uh, for one another and all that God is doing, and then all that He's promised to do that we're expecting uh, finishing this year and on into next year as we now are past the first of three holy days. You probably know them as holidays, Thanksgiving, and then Christmas, the birth of Christ, and then the new year, and so that we can enter a new season, a brand new calendar year full of faith in the Lord. I do know that I've talked to a bunch of people, uh, some of them, you know, before the holidays, and uh, and they said, PG, I got to be honest, man, this was a crazy year for us, and it's been super challenging, and we don't anticipate that Thanksgiving is going to be all that pleasant for us, and we're kind of wondering how in the world do we posture ourselves, you know, for Christmas, and how do we get ready for a new year with everything going on? And and I don't want to marginalize that. I'm not trying to find us some little, you know, warm. Uh, place to hide in in the holidays here. <clears throat> Nobody could have predicted 2020. It's crazy uh, with a COVID pandemic that we still haven't found you know the end line to it, and, and the resulting economic insecurities and the social distancing restrictions that are still up and down and all over the map depending on where you live in the country. And we've had rioting over racial division and social justice issues and. And even our politics are more tangled up than ever before. And there's uncertainty and, uh, and unclarity, and it, it's just nuts. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm glad that the Lord fore, foreknew this. He understood. And so he always provides. Um, but I also can recognize with people that for some of them, it's created a fear. It's created anxiety and stress. You know, they, there, there's an emotional fatigue that even people that seem to fare pretty well through all of this, they're like, I'm just tired. I just kind of want it all to stop. And then there's those that, you know, around the country, maybe not so much here, but feel like that they're, they're so twisted up from isolation and, uh, and the surge in addictive behavior. Some of them new for people, some of them re-emerging and others are just exasperated and, uh, and created family friction and, and I know division and, and in many cases divorce and spousal abuse. And we could just keep going on and on. The list seems never ending. And, and, and it is a good question. It's like, well, how in the world do, do then we... You know, do we really climb into appreciation and thanksgiving? And how do we set ourselves up for Christmas? And, uh, and, and it's all true from one angle, from a very real angle, an experiential angle. I'm not, I'm not arguing with that. But from another angle, scripturally, which is what I want us to kind of start looking at today, uh, this is the kind of irredeemable chaos that Christ literally stepped into. This is the kind of chaos that is why he promised, and, and uh, the Bible's really clear, he had to come. And this is the kind of chaos that the Bible says on many occasions that still today, that he can most easily be found. 
is when we stop marginalizing, we stop hiding in temporary solutions and we really press back and we go and, uh, and we discover that Emmanuel, Christ with us, is right here in the middle of this chaos. And, and sometimes we don't really like that because what, you know, what I think, you know, even as Christians, I think sometimes that we tend to lean towards wanting Christ, you know, to be waiting uh, piously in some pristine, perfect setting, you know, be it a, a church or, or some, you know, some uh, final uh, arrival, some perfection in, in our natural or materialistic or secular surroundings. Uh, but that's really not where the Prince of Peace resides. Jesus said out of his own mouth, I didn't come for the well. I didn't come to be, you know, to step into perfection. He said, I came for the, for the people that were sick. I came for the chaotic, the dangerous situations. And I, I came to, to come in, in in the middle of a storm and to bring peace right in the middle of that chaos. And that's what we're believing God for, uh, for these holidays. We're not going to surrender uh, to the chaos around us. We're not ignoring it and we're going to be responsible to address it, but we're just not going to surrender to the chaos around us because we serve the Prince of Peace who came to step into that chaos with us and bring us blessing and confidence and faith right in the middle of that. And, and really, that, that's why we began with the little Christmas song uh, that you saw just before um, that, that I began to speak here. I know it wasn't a Christian song, and, and we're not trying to hide that, but the ambiance of it, the, the, the level of peace and the level of, you know, just rest and refreshing that it brought, it, it feels a lot like those scriptures that are embedded throughout the Word of God, scriptures like Zephaniah 3.17 that says, The Lord your God is among you. He's a warrior who saves, and he will rejoice over you with gladness. Listen to this. He will be quiet in his love, and he will delight in you with singing. Reminds me a lot of times when, uh, as, a young, uh, as a young dad with you know, little, little kids, little toddlers, and one of the things I'd love to do is sneak in the room in the middle of the night, and, and I know Debbie told me not to, but sometimes I'd actually pick them up and risk waking them up. And, and I would just be there and, you know, in the, in the dark or with a little nightlight and I'm just singing and I'm just thanking the Lord for the blessing of a family and speaking and singing blessings over my children. And it was so moving to me in that experience and remembering the heart connection and, and what all that meant to me. And then to discover in Zephaniah that that's exactly what the Lord does for you and I. He literally scoops us up in his arms and he sings over us. And he just speaks peace and quietly he just imparts his love and he surrounds us with faith. And, and I'm so appreciative. It reminds me of other passages like Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, one of my favorites. And I'll just paraphrase it for you. It says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean back into him. Put your full weight on him. Just lay back in, in, in your father's arms and just know and be of absolute certainty he's got this. If we trust him in everything that we do, he'll walk us right on through to the things that he's promised us, right on through to the destiny. And, and really, that's kind of the essence of the new series that, that I want to start with us today. And we're, gonna, we're calling it Unwrapping Christmas. And really, we want to walk back through scripture and we want to see Christ in the chaos. And we want to see how we have traditions today that were put in place that every single one of us celebrate or at least are familiar with. 
And they were there to remind us in these kinds of holy days that Christ isn't far away on some throne somewhere. He's not, you know, some deity that is disconnected from his people, but Emmanuel lives right in the middle of us. And he's the one that helps us no matter what's going on in our world, no matter what's going on in our life. He helps us to unpack the joy of living in the love of a Savior and living in the love of our Lord. And we're going to do that by going through Luke chapter 2. It's really the unfolding in the New Testament of the Christmas story. And I just want to read through that and, and make some comments, point some things out this morning. But before we get there, we're going to just stop by Matthew chapter 1 and we're going to grab one verse and take it with us because it's really the heartbeat uh, of the whole series that we're on. I've mentioned it already, but listen to Matthew chapter 1 verse 23. Now this is really a quote from the prophet Isaiah who foretold this about 700 years before Jesus was born. And here's what he prophesied would happen. He said, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us, God right in the middle with us. In fact, the title of this first message, our first study, is Finding Christ in the Chaos. Finding Christ in the chaos. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 2 now. And I'm just beginning verse number 1. And I'm going to start reading and I'll pause and point some things out. And, and again, I'm, I'm hoping that it will help us to begin to experience the love of God in the middle of just what's been a chaotic year for us. And what looks like it could continue to the end of the year and maybe on to next year. But, but Christ loves us. And he comes to stand right in that chaos with us and to bring us peace and blessing. Here's Luke chapter 2, verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all of the world, that's all of the world under the Roman rule, that all of the world should be registered. And this census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So the first thing I want you to know was the chaos that was happening in the politics of the day. And that's very relevant to today. Israel was not a free nation at this point. Israel was under Roman rule and they had in this context imposed a mandatory census that resulted in a series of taxations and that every single citizen, no matter what was going on in their life, they had to travel to, to the place of their family's origin and they had to absorb all of that costs. And no matter what it took to get there, that was their problem. They just had to get there to also be registered. Also notice it says that the, this was the, the first census, which means there was a second census. And history tells us these kinds of things just were ongoing. They were constantly uh, putting new requirements and new levels of taxations and, and new quarantines and new restrictions as the Roman government just continued to tighten its noose in order to control the people. And you might think, well, yeah, but this was the nation of Israel, so at least they had their God, right? But here's where the second chaotic situation that was real in their world at this point uh, because Israel was living under the crushing requirements of religious law. So Jesus came and, and he said, I'm here to show you the heart of the Father again because this whole system, this whole religious system that you have has no hope that, that God would ever come through, would offer a, you know, a divine intervention uh, to bring any kind of relief. In fact, all it did was further burden the people. 
And so there really wasn't any spiritual. It's not like, well, they can go to church and be encouraged. No, not really. And so th this was a really challenging, a really chaotic time uh, for the nation of Israel and in this part of the world. Let's keep going in Luke chapter 2. It says, So all went to be registered, every single one to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, into the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. And he did this because he was of the house and the lineage of David. And listen to this, verse 5. He did this to be registered with Mary, with, with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was very, very, very much with child. And so this we, we can see not only was it a political challenge, a political chaos and religious challenge and chaos, but here we see personal challenge and personal chaos uh, with Joseph and Mary. Now they're already embroiled in this stigma. Mary's pregnant. We know that it was a virgin birth, but the people that lived in her tight community didn't know that. Joseph had to be told by an angel in a dream because he's trying to figure this out. What is happening here? And right in the middle of all this, as if life wasn't chaotic enough, they're required now to go on this journey that's about 90 miles. It'll take them about 10 days over some pretty grueling and in some parts of the journey, rather hostile uh, terrain. And, uh, and even though tradition says, you know, that we see all the postcards or, or the Christmas cards that Mary wrote a donkey, the Bible doesn't verify that anywhere. And uh, it's a very, very strong likelihood that Mary walked the whole time, listen, nine months pregnant. And she's there so that she can register as an unwed, pregnant, engaged um, uh, partner with Joseph. She's not even the wife. I mean, this just keeps getting more and more discouraging and more and more challenging and more and more chaotic. But that was the reality for them. Now let's keep going. We're in verse number six. And so it was that while they were there, you say, while they were where? Well, technically they arrived in Bethlehem, the place they were supposed to, but they're actually uh, in, in, in their specific context is the fact that after this 90 mile journey with with walking with a very pregnant woman, you know, wrestling through no doubt the challenges of what is going on. We, we're just trying to get married and start a family. And we're in the middle of chaos here. What in the world is happening? But they finally get to Bethlehem only to find out that there is not one vacant hotel room anywhere in the whole city. And so they end up finding at least a place where they can get some shelter. And so here they are nine months pregnant and, uh, and they bed down in a smelly stable of animals, you know, that have all been carrying their own passengers all day long. And, and, uh, and so it's got, you know, it's the smells of the animals, all the excrements and, and just, just not a, a warm, fun place. And where the Bible goes on and says right in the middle of that, it says the days were completed for Mary to be delivered. In other words, sometime during that night, after a 90-mile journey, after walking, after a stressful, stressful, stressful trip, Mary went into labor. And without the support of her family, without a midwife or anybody being there to help her, this was her very first pregnancy. The Bible says that Mary uh, had her first child. Now, I know we sing about silent night. Let me tell you, this was anything but a silent night. This was not how Mary and Joseph pictured their firstborn coming into the world. But verse 7 says, And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because this was how she'd 
always dreamed it would be. This is what her and Joseph, you know, uh, talked about during their engagement. When we start having kids, it's going to be wonderful. I want my mom in the room. I want your mom in the room. And we're going to be in this particular hospital with this particular midwife, the, the same one that delivered me from my mom. And none of that. They're in the crazy. They never expected any of this, but they had to do that because there was absolutely no room for them in the inn. Verse 8 goes on and says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Let me just tell you what's about to come. This is like a PR nightmare, right? This is the biggest and most grandiose uh, announcement that was ever made in the history of the world, both before and, and to date. It will it'll not be matched until the announcement of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I got to tell you, there's not one mainstream media that covered this story. In fact, it was announced in, into a tiny little group of hardworking blue-collar men who society deemed as being outcasts. I mean, these were just, you know, the, the, the fringe-level people. And yet, they're the ones that God chose to make this announcement to. And verse 9 goes on and says that, Behold, an angel, one angel of the Lord stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. In other words, it was so bright that the entire hillside, they went from dark in a little tiny campfire all of a sudden to it's like this giant spotlight just lit up the whole countryside like a stadium. And the Bible says they were greatly afraid. The Greek term there is actually megasphobeo, and it actually means they were freaked out out. I mean, they were just paralyzed, freaked out with fear. But verse 10 says, then the angel said to them, do not be afraid for or because I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, if no nothing else registered, Christ the Lord would, would have caught their attention because they would have heard all of their growing up life. For thousands of years, the prophets in Israel had talked about this Messiah, God's chosen king of the Jews that would come someday to rescue, to redeem, to rectify uh, the, the overlord of other nations and, and to set the Jewish people as God's chosen, chosen once again. And so they would have heard, you know, as Christ the Lord, but verse 12 says, and this will be a sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And they might've thought like, what? Wait, what? Cause he's the Messiah. He's the King of Jews. He's like King David, you know, personified come to life only, only even better because he's going to rescue the nation forever and ever. And so it was like, what? What is that all about? But this is where the story really gets important and where we can begin to see some deeper connections in how we celebrate our Christmas holidays today, even though we probably don't think about it and we don't really know that. But you have to look towards Messianic scholars. Scholars, These are Jewish scholars who have recognized and accepted that Jesus was in fact the Messiah. But they've grown up in the teachings of Judaisms and they study, you know, the Hebraic Bible and, and, uh, and, and, and the, uh, the, the background, the history of Israel from a Jewish heritage. And so these Messianic uh, scholars point out that normally the shepherds uh, would pen their sheep up at night 
and would go home and get some sleep. And that's where we kind of find, you know, the, the shepherd that leaves the 99 in the pen and goes after the one that he's missing because he gets to the house. And, and that's normally what they have done. So why are they in the field? And the reason they're in the field is because the actual birth of Christ didn't happen in the wintertime, like when we celebrated. It actually happened in the spring. And it was very close to, in fact, connected, if possible, to the Passover holiday, because that's when the, the young lambs would be born uh, to, to the ewes. And, and the shepherds were in the field because they wanted to identify the firstborn lambs and they wanted to be able to, to determine that of all of the male lambs that, that they, they could pick the ones out without a blemish because these are the ones that would qualify for the Passover lambs that would be slain for the atonement of the sins of the people in, in the city of Jerusalem. And, and actually, if we could just be practical about it, it was a real moneymaker for, for the shepherds. And so they, they were there watching over their flock and making sure, man, they didn't miss one. They were able to, to identify every single one. And the way that they identified that the lambs, the young male lambs were spotless was they would wrap the young lambs up tightly in strips of cloth. They would swaddle them, we could say. And then, and then, you know, they would do that to calm the little lamb while they thoroughly examined to make sure there were no blemishes. And so this particular night, the angel chose and he announced, listen, there is a lamb that is, that is born, but it's not one of the lamb in your flock that you're watching on this hillside. It's the actual lamb of God. And it's so intriguing, so fascinating that God would choose these shepherds to be the first ones to examine the little lamb of God that was born. And, and the angel said, you'll find him swaddled, wrapped up and ready to be examined in a manger. Um, and that's exactly what we find out that, that they found it. You know, it's no wonder that God didn't choose some religious scholar or, 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 you know, or some royal person that would have to search the scrolls. And God just went to hardworking people who would just get down into the trenches of life and said, we get it. We know what this looks like. We know what the real thing looks like. And, uh, and, and they know what we're looking for. And so these shepherds went. And by the way, that, that's a great place to think about some of the connections that we have that we've probably forgotten or certainly we overlook. And because of that, we don't have a chance to talk about them as family. We don't have a chance to, to remind ourselves or even to reflect or, or to pass them along to our kids and our grandkids. But, you know, here's just some simple, obvious ones. For example, the candy cane. The candy cane, you know, was first created back in the 1400s, and, and it's in the shape of a shepherd's staff, first of all, to remind us that this is where it all started when the announcement was made to the shepherds, but it's also a reflection of the fact that Jesus is our great shepherd. In fact, if you take the candy cane and you turn it upside down, it makes the letter J, and it really identifies who we know to, to be, uh, to be the, the great shepherd and this little lamb that was, that was slain. The candy cane starts out as a white peppermint candy and white represents the purity of the Lord, the spotless lamb that was shed, uh, that was that was uh, that was sacrificed. But it also represents the fact that our sins are, are completely wiped clean because of that lamb sacrifice. Of course, it's got a red stripe on it representing the blood of Jesus that that uh, that that streamed down from the cross and dropped onto the ground and ultimately uh, purged us from our 
sin and became the, the redemptive price. And it also has a very thin stripe. There's actually three stripes on the candy cane, the white, the red, and then there's the light, you know, the, the pink, which is kind of a, a hybrid between the red and the white. And that's representative of the Holy Spirit. In fact, when you see the three colors, it talks about the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit coming together with you and I as a whole being, not just redeeming our, our eternal life, but redeeming us spirit, soul, and body, every part of us. And all of that is the message of Christmas right there in the candy cane. Uh, let, let me move to Christmas itself, kind of the title of Christmas. It, it really is an old English title that, that comes from a Latin term, uh, Christe uh, Masse, and it literally means the Mass of Christ, because they used to have a, a Christmas service, but the Christmas service was primarily to take communion together, to celebrate the death uh, of the Lord at, at His table, and, and to, to appropriate all of the promises and all of the privileges that belong to us as Christians because of what Jesus did by shedding His blood. You say, that doesn't sound very Christmas-like. That's absolutely Christmas-like when you think about the blessings, the presents, if you will, the gifts that Jesus brought to us because of his death and his resurrection. And finally, we're not in the spring celebrating, but we do this in Dece on December 25th. Uh, and this really started back as a Roman occult holiday um, that was called Sol Invictus. And it, and it was really uh, the birthday of the unconquering sun god. But something happened when the Roman Emperor Constantine accepted the Lord Jesus Christ in 336 A.D., and he wanted to redeem this holiday and all the focus and the attention that was going uh, to this occult God. He wanted to redeem it and bring back the glory where it belonged. And so he established December the 25th as the Feast of Nativity, or we could say the birthday as the Son, S-O-N of God, not the Son God, S-U-N, but the birthday of the Son of God, S-O-N. And that's where we celebrate the Lord Jesus Christ. All of these things point back not just to some warm, sentimental, wintry night, but they point back to the redemption, the hope that we have in the middle of chaos because Emmanuel, who loved us, came and climbed right into the middle of our situation. And that's exactly what we celebrate every Christmas time, or that's what we, we're intended to celebrate. Let, let's finish up our Christmas story. Uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 12 says, And this will be a sign to you again. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying Lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, all praising God and saying, Now, this is important. They weren't singing our Christmas songs, you know, pictures of the angels singing. But they were all saying together, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. In other words, God's peace and God's goodwill or God's good, good intentions have come to earth and stepped right in the middle of all of the chaos, all of the challenges, all the irredeemable problems that sin caused. But God's grace and God's goodness and God's good intentions came and stepped right in the middle of that. Verse 15 says, And so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. 
And so when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told to them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And then the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and all the things that they had seen as it was told to them. It kind of brings us to this one more tradition that I want us to look at this morning in connection with this. And it, it might be one of the biggest ones or uh, the ones that create the most distraction if we're not careful. And it, it's this idea around this whole character, Santa Claus. Some people have said, he's bad, he's bad. No, no he, he's not. In fact, uh, he comes from a, a young gentleman named Nicholas who was born to a wealthy family and who'd passionately given his life to Christ. And the more he's realizing the blessings that he lives in and he can see the, uh, the impoverished conditions of, of a number of people around him, he begins demonstrating or exampling his passion for Christ by generously, discreetly, but generously uh, giving to, to those people that were less privileged than him and, 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 uh, and being a blessing to their life. Well, it's about 100 years later, that he's recognized and declared by the Catholic Church uh, for his generosity. And, uh, and that's where we have St. Nicholas, or back in, in some of the Latin versions, Santa Claus. And, uh, and, uh, and, and that's where he, he, you know, he kind of came from. And, and he, he was, at, you know, for the first part, he was a very religious, a very inspiring character for us to be able to live for God and live in the same generosity. Well, it was sometime later that the Dutch... Uh, renamed him Chris Kringle, <clears throat> which in some of the cute little cartoons and the movies, you know, ends up being, you know, kind of his alias name, uh, Chris Kringle. But really, Chris Kringle comes from the Dutch uh, language that just means Christ child, because they were trying to help us to refocus our attention back on the fact that uh, Nicholas was only trying to exemplify. He was only trying to give a living witness and a living example to the, the real gift giver, and that was Jesus Christ who came to lay down and to give his own life. In fact, let me just take you back to one more verse in Luke chapter 2. We've read it over a couple of times, but, but I really want to, to use this as we wrap up this morning. Verse 12 says, And the angel said to the shepherds, And this will be the sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Here's what strikes me there is that the angel promised, in spite of all the political and the economic and the religious and the personal and the, you know, the problematic and the circumstantial chaos and confusion and challenges, he promised the, the, the shepherds, if you're willing to look, you will find Christ. If you're willing to reset your priorities and you're willing to adjust your schedule here and you're push past all, all the distractions, you will find that Emmanuel is right where God said he would be. And when you do, it'll absolutely change your life and it'll absolutely change the circumstance and the situation that you're in. Here's my question as we finish today's teaching. Where is it that you're going to look for and find Christ in this holiday season? Are you going to put all your emphasis on somehow trying to recapture the external magic? And I'm not, uh, listen, I'm not, I'm not going to try to say those aren't fun and, and those aren't part of our holiday celebration. I know that Debbie's already decorating our house, has already decorated a lot of our house for Christmas. And I, and I love that. I, I'm excited about that. 
But are you going to get caught up in the glitz and the glamour and the, and the merchandising and the pressure and the stress? And, and, and all that stuff has a place. Don't get me wrong. But are we going to come back and are we going to join ourselves in realigning our purposes and realigning our hearts? Are we going to come back together and fight for that devotion time, just us in Christ, curling up if we have to, you know, by the Christmas tree lights and, and saying, Lord, I'm just going to spend some time in the Word and spend some time with you today. Are we going to fight for a consistency to join our spiritual family, whether that's in person or online, and stay connected and, and encourage one another as we fellowship and we, uh, we celebrate together the birth of our Christ child? Are we going to remember and remind ourselves and remind one another and pass this on to other generation about what these Christmas traditions really are all about? Are we going to tell the real story? Or are we going to settle for just, you know, the cheap secular narrative here? Um, because all of that stuff comes into play. And the Bible promises that if we will lean in, if we'll put our focus on Jesus, that he'll do exactly what Zephaniah says that he would do. He'll sneak into our life in those quiet moments. He'll swoop us up in his arms. He'll quiet us with his love. And he'll sing and rejoice over us as his children. Because Jesus, Jesus loves us as much as we love Jesus. Let me pray for you as we get this Christmas started. Heavenly Father, I thank you that in spite of all the craziness and all the chaos and all the bumps and the bruises and disappointments and whatever 2020 may have accumulated in our own life and in our families and in our, our surroundings, I pray that you would step in with the Christmas miracle that the Word of God unfolds. May Emmanuel step in a real way, a measurable way, a tangible way right into our personhood. May he pull us close. May he quiet us with his gentleness and his love. And may he, may he show us and remind us again the blessing and the wonderful privilege that we have of being part of your family during this Christmas holiday. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name. again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.